again to church. My name is Pastor Joe Marlin, and we've got like entirely new curriculum that they are trying out tonight for the first time, and so I'm going to try to be short, mercifully short, so if they get lost, <laughs> they won't blame me for making them be down there <laughs> without any help. So we've been in uh, the book of John, which we'll be calling the gospel of Jesus in real life. The gospel in real life. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of sad because we are in the last week of Jesus' life already. That's the bad part. The good part is the way John is written, we still got a lot to go because <laughs> it slows down. It slows down. It goes into like slow motion and focuses on every day and every moment and every conversation Jesus had in the last week of his life. So we're still going to be in this series that I've been loving. The Gospel of John just paints a picture of Jesus, and we get to see him week in and week out and just fall in love with him. When you hear what he said, we hear the stuff he did, we're blown away by who he is. And I don't know about you, but I want to follow him. I want to follow him more. I want to rearrange my life, how I spend my money, how I schedule my time, how I take care of my body, my family, my wife, my kids, because Jesus is king, right? Jesus is the savior. And so the theme of John, we've been pointing this out the entire time, that placing your trust in Jesus is the only way to receive eternal life forever. That's a heavy message. That the message of John is that when you place your trust in Jesus, that's the only way that you receive eternal life forever. But it gets even better than that, which is mind-blowing, right? Because how could it get better than that? That it's also by placing our trust in Jesus that we experience abundant life now. So we receive eternal life after we die. We go to heaven, and every single thing we've ever been through, everything, every way that we've been beat up, every single trauma we went through, like that song we sang, right, Hymn of Heaven, he's going to wipe away every tear from our face. At the same time, when we put our trust in Jesus, when we trust him with our life, we get to live an abundant life now. And that abundant life means full. And it's full of a lot of different things. It's full of a lot of pain, full of a lot of chaos, right? Like somebody was asking for prayer a couple weeks ago, and they're like, I live a chaotic life. And a lot of people shaking their head, amen, so do we. <laughs> And life can be full of chaos, can be full of heartbreak, can be full of trials. But it also, in the middle of all that, can be full of joy, full of purpose, full of God's power, full of friends. Amen? Like, we aren't by ourselves. We have people to journey with us through all this crap we're going through. Thank the Lord. And we're going to see these themes again today in our text. So we're in John 14. Let me read it for your hearing. Verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. 
Man, that's the, the title of today's sermon. <laughs> do not let your heart be troubled. Somebody say, do not let your heart be troubled. I love you guys, but that was whack. Let's do it again. Somebody say, do not let your heart be troubled. All right, better. <laughs> Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. So that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen the Father, I'm sorry, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. How can Jesus say, don't let your heart be troubled, right? In John 16, he says this. He says, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the simple message tonight. This is the simple message tonight. Is that you can walk through hell. But when you're led by Jesus... You can have heaven in your soul. And it gets better than that. It gets better than that. Because one day, you won't just have heaven in your soul. But when you walk with Jesus, and Jesus is your way, and you're being led by him, one day, your body, your mind, your soul, your circumstances, everything will be in heaven. There will be no hell in your life at all. But right now, you can be walking through hell and have heaven in your heart. Jesus said this to his disciples. Remember, every one of his disciples was going to die a violent death, except for the author of this book, who was going to die an old man exiled alone on an island because he was too dangerous to, to martyr or to let loose in the churches. We can't say, oh, but this is a certain circumstance, or they had a special thing going on with Jesus. 
they had a special thing going on with Jesus, all right, as apostles, and their suffering was greater than our suffering. And yet he told them, let not your heart be troubled. They were going through greater stuff than we go through, and he told them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so we see, as I said before, we see eternal life received all over this text. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Amen? I go to prepare a place for you. Now, unfortunately, I have read this text way too many times because this is one of the texts that you read at funerals, right? And maybe some of you heard this text and you're like, it sounds familiar. You probably heard it at a funeral. But imagine this. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the one from whom all creation, every single thing you see, every single thing you see was created in a moment, right, by the word of his mouth. That one who could just speak everything into existence, the one who comes and lives the life we live, you know what I mean? It, like, has flesh and bones, is truly God, but also truly man, Jesus Christ, the one who would be beaten, the one who would hang on the cross, the one who would be placed in a tomb, and the one who would bust out of that tomb and defeat death. That one is saying, I'm going to prepare a place. What would it look like for Jesus to prepare a place for you? See, God can just speak anything into existence, but somehow God is actually active in preparing a place for you. How good is heaven? He is actually the son of God, the creator, the one who will judge the whole world, right? Is actively planning and preparing a place for you. You know why? Because he knows everything you're going through. He knows all the suffering you've been in. He knows all the stuff that you did and needed to be forgiven of. He knows everything. And he is preparing a place for you. And brothers and sisters, that place ain't like this place. That place is the opposite of this place. That place there is no crying. That place there is no sickness. That place there is no disease. There is no murder. There is no addiction. There is no mental health stuff. There's none of that. So he's preparing a place that's utterly different than the place that we're in now. And Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now some of you will hear this passage and wonder why it doesn't sound, you know, as familiar. Because the King James will say, Many mansions. You ever heard that? I, 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 uh, there are many mansions I'm preparing. And what happened in that translation of many mansions is that an entire vision of the afterlife has been built up by that King James translation with the eye that, you know, for some people that their imaginations go with them, and they start to imagine, like, there's a teaching. We're going to talk about it tonight in our book study. There's a teaching throughout the New Testament about the eternal rewards, right, that Christians receive. 
every single thing you do, when you give a cup of cold water to a kid, it, it's worth it. It's not like, whatever, that's what you should have done. Every single thing that we do lasts forever. This weekend, when we give out groceries to our community, like we do every month, it's worth it. God sees it. He will reward it. But some folks have taken this text and they took this interesting translation of mansions. And this word for rooms, this word for dwellings, this word for places, only occurs two times in John. And by the time that, you know, they were translating it to King James, a lot of things were lost. One of the things that was lost is that they did not have the kind of archaeological picture that we have today. Right? Nowadays, there's a whole lot more information about the kind of places people lived, the names of those places, and what this really could have looked like for those who heard Jesus. So that's why all the modern translations use this word rooms or dwellings. What Jesus is actually referring to is the common person's home. And so what people lived in was very different than how we live back in the day. What people lived in is they would have these extended families, and you would have a room. And in your room, you would live with your, like, nuclear family that we would call that, right? The mom, dad, kids. And then right next to it would be another room <laughs> and another room and another room. And in the middle, so that these houses would be shaped like U's. And in the middle would be a courtyard, right? You might have some animals. It would be a place where all the stuff happens, where the big meals happen, right? And so what you have is you, have, you, you would have an average in these homes at this time, Jesus is speaking, like 100 to 150 people living together. My, my wife's uh, got friends she used to babysit for over in Maple Shade, and they, would ha they had this, like, place in where their backyard hit other backyards, and they didn't need a fence because everybody that, like, were sharing that yard was related. That's aunt. That's grandma. <laughs> that's my brother. That's my sister. And they were all living together. And I bet you know, bet you know some people that live like that, right? And so what Jesus is painting the picture of is not so much a mansion. Like there, I've been in, uh, I was in a mansion once, legit. It was like something from TV in Bucks County, PA. And the person living in it was like, I could lose my wife for days in this place. Their kids were all grown and they had like 14 bedrooms in this house. <laughs> That's not really what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about, listen, when you get to heaven, the great thing about heaven is that you're going to have all this space. You could get lost in it, and you're going to have a room full of iPhone, uh, Apple products, and another room full of, like, the, all the clothes that you love, and another room full of just bars of gold. And that's kind of where we gravitate towards in our flesh, or something like that, because we're all different and want different things. But, we, but, but what Jesus is actually painting is something very ordinary and yet beautiful. It's, something very, it's, it's more like a college dorm, <laughs> right? Where there's like pool tables and foosball in the middle. And 
We get to just be around our family all the time, except there's no drama. Can you imagine that? Be around our family all the time sounds horrible, but then when you take away the addiction, the mental health stuff, there's nothing but love. The reality is, is that heaven is not a picture of isolation, but heaven is a picture where we are never lonely, where we are together, and where all the things that are wrong about our family stuff is completely right. He's going to prepare a place for us. Not, but I don't know about you, but as much as I, like I can see it, right? I can see it. Um, I, I really do love my church family. And I, and I, I, I think a lot of us, when we're really honest, we're like, there's a lot of things that get away, get in the way for us to be really known. And we feel continually misunderstood. Or we feel like there's a reason that we can't really be 100%. Or we feel like there's some way in which we're out of sync and different than others. And God, when we, when we get to heaven, <laughs> we're, we're never going to feel like, oh, I wish I had more time with that person. We're going to be able to really enjoy each other without any jealousy, without any weird emotions. When we're honest, even when we are on our best days and our best moments, there's all kinds of weird competition, weird flexing, weird like, I don't know if I connected or not. Did he receive what I said? Did, did she understand what I was meaning? And all of that goes away. And the room that God has prepared for those who place their trust in him. But as good as it will be to be with each other, it's the Father's house. And we're going to be in the house with God. All right? So, that, so as much as there's some weird static with our own family, with people on our block, people we work with, all these misunderstandings, all this distance, the greatest distance that we struggle with relationally, the greatest loneliness that we feel in our soul, the greatest problem that we have is our problem with God. Our problem to relate to him, to worship him, to love him, to know how much he loves us, to know what he's done for us. And in heaven, when we get into that space, we are going to be able to walk out of our room into the courtyard and be with our father at any time. And I, I want you to know this father. Amen. I want you to know his, this father. I want you to, to know each other. We don't have to wait till heaven <laughs> to start to experience the full life now of living this life, not in isolation, but on mission together, in community together for his purpose, for his glory. We get a taste of that now. But Thomas, to go into a hard transition, Thomas, doubting Thomas is like, yo, I got to see it. <laughs> That's Thomas' whole life. 
I mean, Jesus literally rises from the dead and is there in person, and other people are seeing him. And you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, only Peter's seeing him, like, absolutely insane. And everybody else is like, what you see, Peter? Who are you talking to? No, they all see Jesus. <laughs> and, and Thomas is like, I got to see the holes in the side. You know what I mean? I got to see the holes in your feet. I, I got to see. And Jesus is like, here, put your hands through. <laughs> Touch. See. It happened. I died, and yet now I live. I conquered death. How does this happen? This forever community, this endless joy, this absolute end to our loneliness, this absolute end to our pain, this absolute end to being misunderstood. Thomas is like, how and where can it happen? How is this going to happen? And Jesus says, I am the way it's going to happen through me. And then Philip chimes in. We remember Philip. Philip introduced Nathaniel to Jesus. He's from Bethsaida, where Andrew and Peter are from. So Philip is from the same little tiny town a few miles away from where Jesus was born, from the, some of the closest disciples of Jesus. It's like if Jesus were, you know, from Gloucester, and he had a disciple from Fairview. And he had another disciple over in Westview, Westville. He's the one who asks, when Jesus preaches and there's 5,000 people, and, and Philip is like the one that's like trying to calculate how they're going to feed them all. <laughs> right? Jesus is like, how are we going to feed all these people? And then Philip actually answers. Right? Like, he, he actually does the math, and he's, like, trying to figure out, like, and he's just basically, like, we can't do it. There's not, a, there's just not enough. There's no, you know, there's no money. There's nothing we can do to feed all these people. It would be so many days' wages, and, and we don't have it. And he's asking us here. He asks Jesus, okay, you said you're the way, the truth, and life. He says, he says, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. So Philip has seen Jesus literally stand in a graveyard and say, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> and Lazarus, after four days of being dead, walk out of the grave. Philip has seen Jesus feed 5,000 people. Philip has seen the water turn into wine. Philip has seen the blind receive sight. Philip has seen Jesus teach how he is the way, how he is the bread, how he is the light of the world. Philip has seen all this, and Philip is still saying, okay, like, like I need to, like, you need to, like, the Father needs to come down. Like, I, I need to see the Father. I need more. I need to see. Show us the Father. And uh, Jesus says, you know, if you've been hanging around me, you've been hanging around the Father. <laughs> I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If I'm doing only what the Father leads me to do. A couple nights ago, we were talking. Um, we had, we had a, p folks that are new to the church hanging out. We, had a, we, were, we were grilling chicken, had dessert and all kinds of stuff. And uh, folks were like, like, what's the Trinity? Guys, 
Jesus is patient, right? Jesus walks alongside his disciples, and he's not like, oh, you needed to learn that when you were a kid. How can you not know that, right? Like, Jesus is the one who draws us in. He's full of grace, and he's still walking with his disciples. This is so encouraging. Jesus is better than we deserve. He's patient. He's kind. He's serious. He moves mountains. He heals people. He raises the dead. And yet he speaks gently with us when we just don't get it week after week after week. He works with us. Guys, in the center of all reality, there's this truth of that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's one God, one being that is God. But he exists in three persons, three separate persons. And that's how, that's, that's one of the ways that when the Bible says God is love, that's difficult for us to even wrap our minds around because if we just loved ourselves, we don't call that love. <laughs> we call that narcissism. <laughs> And like, how do you love yourself? Because the whole point of love is like you give, right? The whole point is exalting and putting someone else above you. And yet at the center of all reality is a God where the Father lifts up the Son, where the Spirit lifts up the Son, where they all love each other and have before anything was even created. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, one God three persons. Hebrews 1.3 says the Son, this is Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things. It can only be God if you're sustaining all things. Not sustaining a whole bunch of stuff, but it's sustaining all things by his powerful word. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This is why Christians, a lot of times when we talk about God, we talk a lot about Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the one who stepped down from heaven and broke into history. So the reason we know about God, for sure, the reason that we know what love looks like, the reason we know what the kingdom looks like is because Jesus stepped into history, and we actually date the whole of history around his birth. We set our whole calendar to his birth. We know that we've been studying these. There's all these I am statements, the the. The, um, the ego, emi, right? We, we studied all of that, how, how the Greek there, where, where Jesus is saying, I am, he is imitating, he is repeating that phrase in the Old Testament where God reveals himself to the children of Israel, I am that I am. And, they, and, and, and the people who heard Jesus understood exactly what he is doing, and that's why they wanted to stone him for blasphemy. They knew he was claiming to be God, especially in John 8 when he said, before Abraham was, I am. How could you have existed before Abraham? 
Because Jesus has always existed. Because Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. How? This is how we live, right? And how did he, how did, how did Jesus actually reflect, like in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, how was Jesus the face of God? How is Jesus the representation of God on earth? It was in how he lived. It was in how he loved, how he healed people, how he prayed in his power and in his weakness and in his very nature, you know? This, this is how Jesus demonstrates who he is. The beautiful thing is when we look at Thomas, right, and we look at Philip, we get two weird questions. Thank God they ask these questions. It's like the class where class gets good when somebody asks a kind of dumb question, right? Because <laughs> everybody else in the class is afraid to ask <laughs> the so-called dumb question. And thank God... That Philip, thank God that Thomas asked these questions so that we could hear these words, like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that we could hear these words, like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I do only what the Father calls me to, right? But it also shows us that this is how it is. We are like the disciples today. We don't always get it. This is how Jesus' followers are always depicted. It's one of the things that makes the gospel so weird. They're not written like any other story of that time. When Jesus dies and rises from the dead and appears to people, the first people he appears to are women. And in the first century, you would not write the story that way. Even if that's what happened, it would kind of get edited out because that's not compelling. You have to understand the cultural mindset in the first century. The way the Gospels are written, Jesus' followers, even the people who write the Gospels themselves, they're not depicted in a flattering way. They're not the heroes of their own story. They're not even just like bystanders who like kind of stay in the shadows and want to tell you a great story about Jesus. A lot of times they're doing foolish things, asking dumb questions and making huge mistakes. But they're just telling you what happened. In fact, the writer of this gospel of John is found in Mark 14 as the certain young man who flees a bad situation naked. <laughs> these, these guys, they just, they're telling you what happened. Even if it doesn't make them look good. That, this isn't how you make up a story especially in the first century. They're confessing the embarrassing situations when they didn't get it. They're confessing their faults. I mean, there's one time when these two brothers, they asked Jesus if he would send down fire and burn up a city that didn't listen to him. 
Like, that doesn't make them look real good. <laughs> right? For 2,000 years, Christians have been reading about the sons of Zebedee, right? Have been reading about Andrew and James and just like, what is going on? These guys, they didn't get it so often. They would ask questions like, who's going to be the greatest disciple? Like, who gets, one of their moms comes up to Jesus like, this is kind of cowardly, right? One of their moms, yo, mom, can you talk to him for us? He comes, she comes up to Jesus and is like, can my one son sit on your right and the other son sit on your left when you come in your kingdom? <laughs> totally missing the point of Jesus' message. They were along for the ride. They saw God heal people through Jesus, right? They saw Jesus doing all these incredible things and yet didn't really understand fully what was going on. And they assumed that Jesus picked them because they must be great. And yet when we read their accounts, we see that they come to a full realization that only Jesus is great. <laughs> and they are goofing up all the time. Jesus is just this good to us. Not just to those disciples 2,000 years ago. He knows your heart is troubled. He knows when your money's troubled. He knows when your family's troubled. He knows when your mind is troubled. He knows when your health is troubled. He knows it all. He knows we got questions. He knows our motives are whack. He knows that we misunderstand him entirely at points. Uh, Bruno Mars sings this, this line. He says, when I see your face, there's not a thing that I would change because you're amazing just the way you are. And when you smile, the whole world stops and stares for a while. Because, girl, you're amazing just the way you are. Yeah, right? But Jesus does something different than what Bruno Mars is doing. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus is not love drunk about you, ignoring the toxic things about you. Jesus keeps it 100%. His love is being in the room with you at your worst moments where he can see exactly how ugly you really are, how stupid and foolish we really can be, how disorganized and lazy we can be, and how selfish and weak and cowardly we can be, and at the same time, how proud and judgmental we can be. Man, he sees us. He sees the things we did, the dirt we did, the ways we look at other people in the wrong way. And John just gives us a real vision of Jesus who walks with his disciple, and he gives us a real vision of Jesus who is a real vision of love. And real love is standing in the room with you, seeing you for how you really are, there's no Instagram filter. There's no Snapchat filter. Jesus is in the room with you, and he sees you for how you really are under bright lights. And Jesus says, we got some work to do, but I'm not leaving. You feel that? Jesus sees you for how you really are, and he still loves you. And he's not going away. He's not leaving the room. You don't have to leave the room. You can stay there with him. 
You might feel judged and condemned, but you're placing that on him. Jesus is for you. He died for your sins. He's calling you towards himself. He wants to know you fully, and he wants you to change, but he does that through the power of his love. Amen? And so we cannot let our hearts be troubled because he has overcome the world. We cannot let our hearts be troubled because the stuff we're going through right now is not going to last forever. He's prepared a place for us. But the question that Thomas asks is important. How do we get there? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's something that we really got to grab a hold of. The way to heaven is not philosophy. Thank God. The way to heaven is not through good works. The way to heaven is not through power, manipulation, the occult. The way to heaven is through a man. His name is Jesus Christ. It's through knowing and putting your whole trust in him. If, if, if it was philosophy, most of us, we could just tap out right now. Right? Like, if, if the way to heaven was just thinking your way to it, thinking your way to enlightenment, listen, most of us just got to survive. Right? I don't know about you, but I can't go up on a mountain, fast and pray, have people just bring me stuff, and just, just meditate and think about life. And then, like, silent for 10 years and then speak some profound thing. Right? Most of us, we got to live. We got to survive. We got people to take care of. We got responsibilities. We live in this real world. And the way to heaven is not you reading more books, you listening to more stuff. The way to heaven is not you, like, just understanding the Trinity more, understanding the Bible more. I want you to know that the way to heaven is a man. His name is Jesus Christ. It's putting your trust in him. And you may not understand a lot, and yet you can be sure that you're going to heaven if you've got a relationship with him. Amen? The way to heaven is not good works. <laughs> you know, we got... We got we got debts. We can't pay. Um, and some of us, it's a gift, actually, if you know that. It's a gift to you. Maybe you've done some stuff that, like, society says is wrong. And in a way, in a weird way, if you've done that and you feel shame about that, there's a gift in that. Because you know that you're not going to just be good enough. Right? Right? But the other problem is, is that sometimes we make up a God of our imagination. And we don't understand the God of the Bible, the real God, who says he's a consuming fire. And so what we think is, we look at maybe some family member, or oh, my brother-in-law, this or that person. We compare ourselves to other people, and we're like, I generally try to do right by the people around me. I'm trying my best. And we kind of think that God is like Santa Claus or the teacher that graded on a curve and that he has to let a certain number of people in. And so I'm doing a little bit better than a lot of people I know in life. And I'm here to remind you that the God of the Bible is unimaginably holy. 
And when we curse him, when we ignore our own flesh and blood, when we're selfish, when we spit on his name, when we sin, when we look lustfully at the people we shouldn't, when we do all the things that God has told us not to, we will be judged for that because he is holy. But the good news is that this is why Jesus came to die on the cross. We have to admit with God that our sins were bad enough that somebody had to die for them. That's what the gospel is all about. And so God is both unimaginably holy and pure, but he's also more loving and kind and radically generous than we can imagine. He is able to be in the room with us in all of our ugliness, selfishness, and sin and stay in the room with us and tell us that he loves us and change us from the inside out because Jesus hung on the cross and died a miserable death, the death we deserve to die. That's the gospel. That's what we place our trust in. Heaven, the way to heaven is not manipulation. It's not power. It's not the occult. And you might, I'm talking, you can find the occult even on the radio, and you can find the occult on TV, and it can be dressed up in Christian clothes and use Christian language and say, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z in this formula and you send me money, I'll send you some materials, and you'll be healed. You'll, this or that will happen. You'll get a Rolls Royce. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and listen, it's like I was saying a couple weeks ago. You might have some power, you might have some swag, you might have some ability, but in the end of the day, it's like all of us trying to build towers to the moon, and all we were given is straws and tape. You can't do it. You might build your little cheesy arts and craft project a little higher than me, and I might build one a little higher than you, But in the end of the day, none of it impresses God, and none of it's going to get you to heaven. So it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter what power you have, who you know, what influences you have, the fact that you can make a couple calls and make some stuff happen. None of that matters in the face of God. The way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. He has the power. He has the love. He has all of it. Guys, I just, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And I'm up here to pray for those who would like prayer. Come on up. I would love to minister to you as we sing this last song. But let me pray for us all right now. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your life. Thank you that you have sent Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. God, we pray, Lord, that your word would get deep in us, that we would grow, grow in understanding, but, Lord, understanding a whole bunch of stuff, but not changing our lives and not loving you is almost worse than not understanding anything. And so, Lord, we don't want to just learn things and be able to quote the Bible, although we want to do that. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to rearrange our lives 
to serve you. We want to be about you. God, thank you that even when we lose all hope, you lift up our chin. Even when we feel ugly, selfish, and ashamed in that room, you don't moonwalk away out of the room and shut the door in disgust, but you stay with us and you give us a hug even as we're crying on your shoulder and you tell us that you are at work in us and that you are going to make us new. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to worship you.